Blog Talk Radio. a solutions-oriented radio show podcast. Each broadcast, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This broadcast, we have a number of of school and district-level leaders that are going to talk to us uh, now that we are some eight months or more in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and we're going to at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a group of leaders also in to uh, talk a little bit about their fears and their uh, aspirations and hopes for uh, the the then beginning of the pandemic. Little did we know how long we would be here. Uh, now, here we are many months later, and I've invited uh, a group back to talk about what it's been like. Um, and so we have a group of leaders from all over the United States that I'm going uh, to introduce to you. And so uh, to our faithful listeners, welcome back. And thank you uh, for being a part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad that you joined us. Uh, I am just really delighted to have this this group of of seasoned educators and leaders. Uh, We have Anna from Los Angeles. Uh, We have Kevin from Jackson, Mississippi. We have Lakeisha from Atlanta, Luis from uh, New York City, and Melissa from Chicago. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your schedule um, to to be with us. So um, I, I have so many things I want to ask. And so I think I'm going to start uh, by, I know, Luis, you you uh, joined us uh, just now. And I, um, wh- I hate to put you on the spot, but I, wanna, I want to ask you a little bit about what it's been like being in New York City. I know you're in the Bronx, um, and uh, New York City has been – somewhat the focus of a lot of of what people are looking uh, for or looking to nationally around what is happening with COVID in education. Um, not, you know, right or wrong, uh, it's been at the in the in the spotlight. And so um, tell us a little bit about what that's been like, um, that you're a principal um, and you you know at the beginning of the pandemic in the spring, uh, New York City was was really a, a hot spot, and now the numbers are rising. I've heard that you're in and out, um, back and forth of deciding of being in school. How difficult has that been alone, just being in New York City uh, for you as a leader? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, you know, it's a challenge because whenever there's in uncertainty uh, of anything, you know, um, your brain will trigger in fear and confusion and, and other other feelings. Um, but, you know, the fear of uncertainty, um, the constant um, going blended to remote 
has been, you know, it's it's been weighing on me as a leader, and it's been weighing on my teachers greatly. Um, but I'm fortunate in a way that um, I've been exposed before the pandemic to the inequities of the world. So for me, it wasn't as challenging to make adjustments because our children have always lived with inadequate resources. Um, the pandemic, what it did was it exposed it more so that people now see all the challenges and things that I've been facing ever since I've been a principal. I've been a principal 15 years, mm-hmm. um, and what the pandemic did is it brought everything to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And now people see what I've been talking about for 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, so when you say when, oh, right, right, that's what I was going to ask. Are you when you say the inequities? Are you talking specifically about uh, the the technology challenges? Yeah, the technology challenges. You have people living living in housing projects, which which are low income uh, housing, and there's you know inadequate internet access. Children not having access to devices, um, and then you put the other. Um, you know, priorities that come, food, shelter, safety, and health. And all of those became more evident, you know, as as areas of need, um, thanks to the pandemic um, exposing what I've been saying for years. Um, So, you know, it's it's challenging um, knowing that all these inequities existed and we just added another layer of trauma to the sure. families that we serve. Sure. And I, and I'm sure that it has been very challenging because a lot of of the decisions that are being made about how things are being done are are taking place outside of your immediate community. They're being made somewhere else downtown. Um a great deal of those about when you go and if you go and and so forth. But one of our guests, uh Kevin is on from Jackson, Mississippi, who is a principal of a standalone charter school. And, mm-hmm. and so, Kevin, um, what's that like? Because you, you are essentially the yeah. principal, the superintendent, and the district office. Um, so what's that been like uh, from you, for you uh, having to, to make the decisions that affect so many and that all of that has been on your shoulders? Yeah, well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm glad to be here. And, um, wow, Luis, I thought that was so well put. And I I think even though we're in a a much different setting, I think so much of what you share just resonates with my experience here. In terms of the decision-making abilities, I would, to be really honest with you, it has been such an enormous blessing and a curse. I think it's been really great because we are able to know our community best. And so what works best in another community might not work best here. And so in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful for the ability to make the kind of autonomous decisions without necessarily um, the bureaucracy of an entire large district or an entire big city or a network of charter schools or anything like that. Like it's just our school. So if we decide today we want to be virtual, we can be virtual today. If we decide tomorrow we can we want to be hybrid, we can be hybrid tomorrow. We we have the ability to be really nimble and to respond to what we're seeing here in the community. And I think in a lot of ways that enables us to um, to be super responsive to the families that we serve. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, 
um, it, you know, to be, to be frank with you, like I don't have a health expert, like I don't have an epidemiologist on my staff. Like I don't have somebody who, you know, we're kind of making the very best decisions that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there, I, I will be honest, there are days where I'm like, gosh, I wish someone would make this decision for us. Sure. Um, just because it's such a complex situation where you're trying to deal with like, you know, is it, you know, obviously you want to stop the spread. So in some ways keeping folks at home is best, but then in other ways, it's like, what are they missing if they're at home? And, and, you know, for some of our students, that's the best place for them to be. But for other of our students, like that's not necessarily the best place. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's just so many different factors. So I would say being able to unilaterally make our own decisions mm-hmm. is a blessing and allows us to be nimble and responsive, but also just put a ton of pressure on sure, all of sure. our staff and our entire system sure. um, that, that is sometimes tricky to navigate. Sure. And, and with it, certainly all of the uh, confusion that there's been mixed messages coming from all over about it. And I think, um, Keisha, you may have been in the same situation. I know uh, Keisha is the, um, as a, as a director, a, uh, of a network of schools, um, a chief, if correct me if I'm wrong, chief academic officer, is it? Um, for a network of schools in Atlanta, charter schools in Atlanta. And so what about you you there? And um, with your network, are you also making decisions based on the best information you have um, and, and it rests uh, locally with you? Is that the same? Are you in the same situation um, in Atlanta, Keisha? Yes, and thank you again for having me, Dr. Perkins. I'm mm-hmm. really grateful for this opportunity. But, yes, um, as a district charter school, we do have autonomy in our, our decisions. However, we um, do seek to align to our district partners um, mm-hmm. just because of the, the partnership. And we have families who attend both our schools and our district um, neighborhood charter school, um, neighborhood traditional schools. Um, so we, we, although we have the autonomy, we do seek to um, align closely. Um, however, similar to um, uh, what my two colleagues shared, it's been really challenging because every single day <laughs> there's different information, as you, as you spoke about. Um, we were right on the cusp, um, just weeks away from um, generating a pilot and really getting mm-hmm. some team members and students in, and we had to adjust our decision within a day. And that has wow. happened at least three times um, the start of this school year because of the, the different information, the updates, um, and really just trying to keep up with what is accurate, what is um, best for our scholars, for our families. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to meet the needs of all. So, yeah, that sure. has been um, – we've been on the cusp every time, and, in, and we've had to make an immediate decision and go right into action mode and planning mode um, to adjust, um, which has been really uh, challenging and, and quite stressful also. Sure, um, sure. I can, I can imagine. Um, uh, just to shift gears just a little bit, I, I know, um, Keisha, you and Anna – I've talked to uh, before now about the social emotional aspects of your schools. And I know that that's been a really big 
uh, part of what you have um, you have both advocated for, and I'm sure um, everyone on this panel has been involved in one way or another of bringing uh, social emotional learning. Um, I know that to your schools, and I know that um, that's very important. Um, Anna, can you tell us a little bit? I know you're out in Los Angeles, and um, and we've we've also seen there in the news recently about recent spikes. It's just it goes without saying in in a lot of our urban centers, the the number of cases are on the rise. Um, is there any attention, uh, significant or substantive attention, still being paid to the what's going on with students in your um, in your care, uh, their social and emotional well being? Yes, hi, uh, educators. So so uh, such an honor to be with you all. I wish we could be in person. Uh, having this conversation, uh, sharing these best practices and just comforting each other really at this point. I want to thank Dr. Perkins for the opportunity and and to all the listeners. Um, Just a little bit of an update, Dr. Perkins. I'm not even sure if if you've known uh, in the last uh, actually three months, I uh, am now Mm -hmm. um, part of Santa Barbara Unified, still still living in, in Los Angeles County, and my husband's still part of uh, LAUSD, obviously, we are um, feeling the effect of our, our, our numbers, breaking, breaking records in, in LA County for sure. Um, as uh, I, I think one of the, again, there's, there's positives. I think one of the colleagues on the call has talked about, you know, there, there have been some positives. And, and to your point, Dr. Perkins, our attention uh, both uh, in, in LAUSD and Santa Barbara Unified, uh, to the social-emotional well-being, um, knowing that uh, it has never been clearer or, or more prioritized uh, that we need to really take action on that, on, on that Maslow before Bloom, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And a, a, an example of that in, in LA. USD was, you know, the fact that, um, you know, we know that the schools are a safe place for our students, maybe the safest place for some of our students, um, and also a place where they get their nutrition. And Mm -hmm. so things that, that, again, we almost take for granted on a daily basis before a pandemic, these became the number one priority. And and LAUSD just uh, leading the nation um, in uh, making sure that not just the students of, of, of the district get a meal, two meals a day, uh, but the community as well. doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you go. Sure. You, you need to get fed. Uh, sure. Similarly, in my, in my three months um, serving as assistant superintendent of elementary in, in Santa Barbara, um, you know, again, it, it doesn't matter where we are, and I'm sure the same is um, in all the places where our our our, our uh, panelists are from today. Um, you know, the social emotional well being, um, not just of our students, but of our families, of our staff, of our school leaders. Um, all of those just being a very real priority. You know, coming back from Thanksgiving break, normally we were just having this conversation, is, is a joyous, joyous time on the school site. 
you know, where people are, are restful and excited, counting down in the holiday spirit. That is not the case. And so um, really being able to be responsive to that, um, uh, Santa Barbara inside, uh, really stepping up their game in uh, reaching out, making mm-hmm. these resources uh, that have always kind of been a part of, of, of districts uh, for employees and for, fa- for families and for students, but really bringing those to the forefront and being uh, more proactive in getting that, uh, not, uh, not having people search for these things on mm-hmm. their own, uh, mm-hmm. but really making it accessible and being proactive. Um, sure, it, it's, sure. it's definitely um, a priority now, and um, if nothing else, we hope that uh, this might take away that stigma uh, from, from some, of, some of those conversations um, as mm-hmm. we move forward. Sure, sure. And and you highlighted a, a number of services that I'm sure our colleagues at the table today are also providing in their schools that, that really highlight that schools are not just places where students come for um, to for reading, writing, and arithmetic, so to speak, but that right. uh, schools are community resources. Uh, I have often advocated in the courses I teach and, and even when speaking that uh, school leaders are community leaders. And so once upon a time, um, when there were fires or in case of um, uh, outbreaks, um, parents and family members would often go other places looking for resources. And now that seems to always be that they come back to the school and look for help. And so leaders in schools have to be um, knowledgeable of those uh, places where, um, where they can send their parents uh, for those meals or other uh, kinds of assistance. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, You are listening to the Perkins Platform. We are talking about what's going on now, the challenges that our school leaders face uh, in this global pandemic. We have a panel of of both district and school leaders that are talking to us. And I want to uh, jump um, to you, Melissa, in 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 Chicago. Um, And you, um, we we were just talking about uh, both social emotional learning but also the connection between the school and the community. And I I happen to know that your school is one that takes a great deal of pride in empowering parents and having Mm -hmm. parents involved. Uh, How are you hearing from parents right now? What are are they saying about uh, the way they feel about this, remote schooling and the difficulties that they're having uh, in a, in a school like yours that, that focuses on that. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. And and thank you again to all the panelists as well. And I just agree with everything that um, everyone has has shared thus far. Um, We have spent a lot of time really trying to preserve those relational connections that we, I think, have built, you know, really strongly in person. And we've been, so we've been in remote learning since March in Chicago. Um, We have not vacillated back and forth. We've been in this space and and haven't really had 
in-person touch points with our families, aside from our distribution days with novels and Chromebooks and things like that since March. And that's something when we were surveying parents throughout this last spring and, and students and teachers, that was the, the, the main thread, main theme, excuse me, that was coming up a lot. People were just missing each other and missing those touch points. So throughout the spring and, and into the fall, we really just listened to that feedback and spent the majority of our time carving out spaces in our schedule to ensure that those touch points would continue with the kids, with the parents, and even with some, some community folks. So we do engagement groups every morning. Mm-hmm. That's how our kids start our day. 8 a.m., they're in a, an engagement group, and the, the primary focus for that 30-minute block is social emotional work, checking in. How are you feeling? How are you doing today? What do you need from us? What's going well? What do you think we can do better? Some meditative practices, etc. That's been really powerful mm-hmm. and really helps to get our kids to the math class on time. Mm-hmm. It starts at 830 mm-hmm. as well. Sure. Um, and also parents sometimes jump in there too. Um, we are continuing. We're really trying to take those rituals that worked in person and shift them into this remote space. So we still have, you know, our monthly parent meetings. Um, we, we did virtual home visits at the beginning of the year, um, which were really powerful, where the teachers mm-hmm. met with all of their families and all of their students and developed learner profiles for the kids and the, and the parents, because now more than ever, we all know I mean, our parents are true co-teachers um, for our kids. So they were able to use some goal setting and progress monitoring along the way. And then we just did student-led conferences with mm-hmm. their families, um, of course, virtually. And those were really powerful. And just I think the bucket fillers we all needed, students, parents, teachers included, um, after being in this space now for the last, mm-hmm. last several months. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're listening to our parents. We have a, a really high COVID rate. We have our, you know, every few days we have more of our, our family members getting sick. And so they're reporting back to us right now. They're not ready. Uh, the majority by far of our families are not ready to come back mm-hmm. into the building. Mm-hmm. As eager as we are to get there, they're just not ready to send the kids back. So we need to continue wow. to work on making sure we have those touch points. Um, sure. That's what the foundation everything yes and it, it sounds like you were you what you've described you're doing some amazing things with um your families and the access to uh education but i want to circle back Luis. you made a, a statement about the inequities that are surfacing and i'm sure those must be tough for all of you to um to witness because for the most part um, all of you that I've talked to, and I know, uh, Anna, you were in LAUSD. I'm not as familiar with Santa Barbara, but I know that the populations, urban populations that you served, you've served a range of, of individuals from social, different social economic backgrounds. And um, in the spring, when I had a group of of principals in one of their biggest concerns was about the inequities. And I've had since the start, I've had a number of people on the show. I've had um, child psychiatrists. I've had school counselors and the like who have come and they've talked about some of those things. 
um, uh, as it relates to inequities. And so, Luis, and and anyone else that wants to jump in, um, I I know one of the questions that has been posed to me about what I've I've been seeing, and and even in the middle of the pandemic, I've been to a few different school districts and and seeing what's what's happening. Um, but I've had people ask me uh, about what I see with the the access that students have. I've been to some places where in March students were given um, copy packets of of work and were sent home for the rest of the year with a co- with one copy yes. packet. And so uh, that may not be your experience, any of your experiences here um, that drastic, but I do want to hear a little bit about, um, and if you would start, Luis, uh, a little bit about what your, your experience has been with those, those uh, uh, resources. So, so um, I, I call the pandemic the quality review of the world, right? So quality review usually measures whether the school is meeting the needs of the community, right? So the the, the pandemic is actually seeing if the um, world is ready for this pandemic, and, and we're seeing more and more that the inequities are, are greater than what even people thought. So for many of our families, food, uh, shelter, safety, health, and access to technology come before education. So education for a lot of families is a sixth priority. And when you have a situation like that, um, it becomes challenging because you have to try to address those five other basic needs before you can focus on education. Mm-hmm. And when you add, add to that the pandemic and uh, the challenges that the pandemic brings, you know, you're just adding another layer of stress. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's just more evident now than ever before. So as school leaders, we have to figure out how to address those five other basic needs before we can get to to addressing education mm-hmm. in a lot of, you know, situations like my, my school situation. Um, I mean, my school is very unique in the sense that I was able to bring a hospital into the school. So I have a hospital in the building. I have uh, aeroponic farms. I have a partnership with the Green Bronx Machine where we grow our own food and we feed our own community. Um, and we do a lot of, you know, in, interest, interesting and uh, innovative stuff. But sadly, I should not be having to do any of that stuff if society mm-hmm. was addressing these other needs. Right. You mm-hmm. know, we should be out of business. Yeah. I tell people I'm not proud to be a community school. I love the work that we do as a community school. But being a community school just says that, you know, the, the society is not addressing the, the other needs that our families have. Mm-hmm. So, you know. When I look at the pandemic, uh, I'm, I'm sad about what, you know, all the people dying and everything, but I'm a little bit, um, you know, excited because now everything's coming to the forefront. And yeah. people are seeing what, you know, what we've been saying, um, you know, those of us who, who live the, the rough life have been saying for years. And, and mm-hmm. now is the time for us to try to figure out the solution to these other needs and issues that exist and not put a Band-Aid on the problem, you know, because Mm -hmm. this pandemic is telling us we need to fix societal issues and make sure that there are families that have food on the table and jobs and health care, you know. So, you know, this, this is more than just education. 
But, of course, you know, education is always going to be a priority for us. But for many of our families, sadly, until we fix these other things, education is a sixth priority in a lot of homes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you yeah, for sharing. I, I would, I would yeah. just add, Dr. Perkins, that I think uh, to the point that, that my colleague is making, um, you know, schools have always been looked to look uh, towards uh, to solve so many problems. And, and for the most part, we have done most of what we can to, to address a lot of those problems right now. Uh, the light has been, uh, um, you know, there, there's this, this light now that we can't ignore this focus that the schools alone cannot solve all of our problems. This is, and, and it's an opportunity to really uh, grow in our partnerships, which we have done. I'm thankful for that. But it is something, it is a greater, it is a greater need that involves not just local communities, it, it's at the state level and at the federal level. And mm-hmm. I hope that the opportunity that we have been presented with right now and with where we're all trying to work and maximize these resources for our neediest students um, is the beginning of, of getting this in, in a systemic way in place so that schools are not working alone in silos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, if I can jump in here right quick, Dr. Perkins, because I, mm-hmm. I agree so much with everything that, that has been shared. And I've been thinking a lot about how all of that extra support coincides with academic support. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's one mistake that I made earlier on in this pandemic um, is, is treating it as a binary and um, and I think that was dangerous because, first of all, if obviously if I had to choose between family support or academics, if you really pushed the needle, I would, of course, say family support. But that doesn't mean that I think academics are unimportant. And mm-hmm. I actually think they go hand-to-hand a lot more than I realized. And I had initially found myself lowering my expectations for students and saying, let me just make sure that they're okay. Like, let's not really do grade level content, like not, not do any of that. Mm-hmm. And through reflection and through some peers that were gracious enough to hold me to account, um, I kind of began to take a new approach, which is actually I think they go hand in hand. And, like, one way to get to social emotional support for students is to, is to keep a, a routine schedule mm-hmm. and to – um, you know, allow students to grapple with fun challenges and, you know, have them, you know, deal with difficult academic material in a way that they're supported and in a way that they're feeling loved and got along and all the best practices that we know <laughs> that work even without an academic or a pandemic apply within COVID too. But that was one mistake that I think I had to make for myself was not seeing, I think I dismissed academic support and like certainly, Mm -hmm. you know, grades are not as important as other things. But like the reality is we're taking a generational step backwards on the progress we've made in in providing excellent education for all students. And Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. academic impacts are going to be real and lasting Mm -hmm. and they might not feel as urgent and as immediate but I do, I am very, very worried about them. And so mm-hmm. that's what we've been trying to do at our school is, is how do we balance both of those things? 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, and I'm glad um, I'm glad to hear you uh, mention that. Um, I, I I heard someone wanted to jump in. I'm gonna let you jump in, and then I have something I want to I want to get your reaction to. Was it Keisha? Was it you? Yes, yes. yes. I was mm-hmm. just going to add on just hearing um, um, the reflections around how it goes hand in hand, and it really is almost like a prerequisite because in order for us to reach a scholar or teach a scholar, they need to have access and they need to be present. That's why one of our metrics, right, our attendance, because mm-hmm. we can't make an impact on a student that isn't present, that isn't there. So we do have to focus on their needs and the wraparound services to ensure that they are available and able to access um, the teaching and learning that we have to offer as as community schools. Um, and just going back to Louisa's point um, around the, 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 the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the work we've been doing um, in our equity work um, here in Atlanta is exploring the impact and how um, much the the second pandemic that we've been, you know, challenged with for all of these years has been illuminated with COVID-19 is the 1619 pandemic, right? Mm-hmm, that's what, mm-hmm. that's the root of all mm-hmm. of the systemic things mm-hmm. and the inequitable systems that we are facing. So we are actually, mm-hmm. the COVID-19 pandemic has illuminated even more the 1619 mm-hmm. pandemic that we have mm-hmm. been facing um, for you. all of our lives this, yes. this call right now. So. Yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a caller that has uh, called in uh, from a 912 area code. Caller, state your name and your question or comment. Hi, um, good afternoon, Dr. Perkins, um, distinguished staff. This is uh, DeMarco Moultrie calling in from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I currently serve uh, at a public elementary school that serves about 560 students. Um, And I just totally agree with everything that's been said from the panel. But would be remiss, I wanted to highlight one point, and this is something we've been kind of working on as a school as well. Um, not forgetting to ramp up our efforts with our staff and our teachers as well, too. Um, and, and we've been really trying to uh, be just as meticulous about making sure, you know, our teachers and staff um, are getting those same type of supports, whether it's social-emotional learning, uh, working in a trauma-filled environment, and them being trauma caregivers. We want to make sure we try to equip them with a toolbox, a set of skills that allow them to uh, thrive as trauma caregivers. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to take a moment and just note um, how sure. important that aspect of it was as well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for for that. Um, I I couldn't agree more. I I do have, and I I know that we've already run over, but I I have clearance for about another ten minutes if you if you would dare stay with me um, with this. But I I do have one thing I want to get your reaction to. And I've been uh, certainly been thinking about this. Now, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with this is a bit of Monday morning quarterbacking. So it is me (laughs) looking and going, hey, we should have, we could have. Um, So I'm going to acknowledge that right off the bat is that when I because I really look at and have been and been challenged by a number of my colleagues who are in the roles of superintendents and even board presidents um, say, so what could we have done uh, differently? And I think, you know, maybe this will, 
we we might not face another pandemic, but there may be other natural uh, occurring disasters that may happen, whether they're fires in California or hurricanes in the Gulf. Um, there could be other things that happen that put us in a similar situation. But I want to I want to pose this uh, to you and see get a reaction. Is that here? What we have is we have um, essentially at the end of last year we spent. A, a great deal of time trying to ramp back up very, very quickly. And we, we just wanted to get kids back in school or back doing something. Um, but we, in most places throughout the country, we were not well prepared for transitioning to an online environment. Um, because as I know everyone on this panel knows, going online is not as simple as uh, going, taking the materials that you had that you were going to use face to face and just doing those things online. Now, I've spoken to a lot of lay people that are not in education, and a lot of people do actually think you can do that, that you can just go and, and just adjust a little bit, but kind of do that online and you'll be fine. Um, but the, the literature, the research, everything we know about it and developmentally, cognitively, we know that's not the way it works. But we spent a lot of time um, just trying to get back into, uh, get people online. Now, there were some schools that were able to, to snap their fingers and go right into an online uh, environment. But there were others that it was a little more difficult. And that, that points to those inequities. Those were mostly in poor communities. There weren't the resources that were necessary. But to Kevin's point about his initial focus being on the, the health and well-being, and even Luis's point about um, you know, tending to their, their, their needs psychologically before trying to deal with kind of cognitive development, um, I'm just wondering if you think a, a, a different approach might have been uh, more productive. And that approach, what, I, what I'd like to have you consider is um, if we had spent our time triaging students just best we could in the spring, but the rest of our time spent developing our teachers – in right. such a way that they would have been ready in August and September in a much better place. Because mm -hmm. the reason I say this is because we didn't spend the time in development. So where our teachers were at the end of May and June was essentially where they were in September on the end of August. And so now there was no development or little development that happened, but what if we had just triaged them, given them the development that they needed, but then also this year is that we, while we are here in this pandemic, focus our time on making sure people are well. And, and the last point I want to make is that the, the answer when people say, well, what about them falling behind? Are you saying just ignore this year? No, I'm not saying ignore this year. I'm saying that in this country, we have, we have a long kind of a, a long history, but we have a lot of experience with 
an accelerated model. And what, what I mean by that is that uh, students and teachers are often been expected to make more than a year of growth in a year, right? So we say a year and a half of growth, so they go um, in, in one grade level to the next. And so what if we focus this year less on academics and getting teachers where they can, um, can be ready in September of 2021 to put on an accelerated model of education versus what we're doing now and, and then make up the time over a course of a few years and get kids where they need to be. Um, but get teachers the kind of training they need to actually catch up, um, but that we actually spend this year really in a deep dive with the social-emotional learning and training uh, for the students and then get our teachers on board. So I'm going to stop there and get your reaction to that. So um, just right off the bat, in New York, it felt like people were building the plane while flying it. And you know that that doesn't work, right? And eventually the right. plane is going to come down because you can't, you can't fly the plane while you're building it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we also have to look at um, systems as a whole, and systems as a whole, meaning, for example, New York, our calendar, the school calendar just doesn't make sense. You know, the children are off during the summer, and then they're in school during the winter. And we know that in New York, flu season, all the illnesses happen in the winter. So getting the calendars to, to shift, to make um, you know, adjustments so that it best suits the educational process of our children would be a, a major shift. Um, but you are so right. You know, we, we expected teachers to do remote learning that were never trained in how to do remote learning. Mm -hmm. And um, the big issue is we need to focus on um, one thing at a time and get good at that. So if we would have trained our teachers to you know, be better prepared for the remote learning as opposed to trying to do remote learning and in-person learning at the same time, we would be better prepared. So mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of structural things that need to be changed and, and things that, you know, have been in the systems for hundreds of years don't make sense now. So are mm -hmm. we willing to make a full change of the systems that exist is, is, a, is a major question that has to be asked because, we can't move forward unless we start to make system-wide changes. Sure, sure. Anybody I, else? I, yeah, I'd like to add, Dr. Perkins, it, it, I, I so appreciate the question because it, it was definitely something that as lifelong educators we were thinking about, right? My goodness, how, we, we need to go into this, this uh, mode of teaching that we've never done and that we know our teacher uh, at prep um, programs have not prepared our teachers for, and and that balance act of how much can our teachers? Uh, they're so saturated right now and 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 stressed. But how much can they handle without really putting them over the edge? And um, and you know the great Doug Fisher um, is quoted in saying that what we did in the spring was not distance learning. It mm -hmm. was crisis teaching and sure. that's exactly what it was and 
And it was an opportunity. I want to come back. I, I, I've said, you know, that out of all, you know, uh, these challenges, we we have had opportunities. And um, I can tell you that in the spring, LAUSD uh, went went fast forward in uh, acknowledging the need for the for the teachers to really mm-hmm. build their capacity around 21st century learning, you know. Sure, uh, sure. We, we say it, we talk it, we have the standards, but when have our teachers really benefited from the learning and, and capacity building for themselves? And so 14,000 teachers were certified in Future Ready in LAUSD uh, in April, April through, from end of April through June, uh, which absolutely did pay off when they came back in, in August. But it's not a one and done. It, it, mm-hmm. is, it is something we have. We will thank COVID for one thing, and that is that it propelled us as an educational system um, to prepare our students for 21st century learning. And we can't go back. Um, and mm-hmm. not going back means that our teaching has, has to be transformed. And sure. as educational leaders, we need to provide those ongoing opportunities uh, which is what we're doing um, now in Santa Barbara, this ongoing professional learning opportunity that is timely, that is relevant, that is accessible, um, and that is not too much for them to handle because, again, the, the social-emotional need is, 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 is real, and uh, we have to be respectful uh, to, to our uh, teachers doing the work that are just trying to balance all of this. But we, we need to stay true to our commitment uh, of being instructional leaders. And, and the only way to do that right now is to really, really go full, full force with uh, distance learning, hybrid learning, um, uh, and what that means um, in our new reality. Uh, but making this so available to our teachers where, our, where the payoff really is going to be for our students. Excellent, excellent. I just want to let all of you know that we are, we're still, we're recording, um, and so please feel free to continue. Uh, this will be available on the um, the recorded version. Um, it's not live at this point, but uh, I do want to encourage you to, to go ahead and and continue. So anyone else want to add to that? Yeah, um, Dr. Perkins, that statement actually really just struck a chord because one thing that you shared was around how we were just trying to do the brick-and-mortar school, how we've always done it and known it, online. And that Mm -hmm. did not work. It does not work, and it never will work. And I think something that was illuminated um, throughout this time of this process was that we have been so far removed from design and creative thinking and innovation um, and education that, it was really hard for us to think out of the box and to think creatively and to think of um, out, out of the box solutions in order to meet these unique needs. Um, and it just made me realize even more how design thinking is a tool that needs to be sharpened and it's a skill and it's not something, it's something that we think about. It's something that we dream about that we talk about a lot, but it's mm-hmm. not something that is, innate. It's not something mm-hmm. that we just know how to do. And we always, what I, what I found is we consistently uh, reverted back to what we, know, what we knew, even to the point of the number of hours. So like our, our school day 
was from 7.15 to 2.40 every mm-hmm. single day. You cannot expect developmentally for a, a any student K right. through 12 to function and be successful. Or even or, or even at the college level. I mean, let's be honest, right. you know. <laughs> adult level, right? Yeah. Like, we went from, you know, having meetings and being able to walk down the hall to have a quick conversation to having back-to-back Zoom meetings mm-hmm. to the point, you know, mm-hmm. where, where I'm sitting at a desk and getting up with swollen ankles like I've been on a flight to Thailand, right? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> we're, we're literally, like, we were just thrust into this online mm-hmm. environment, and it was, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we have to take into account, and we have to, we have to continue, like, like uh, Louis said, um, building the plane in the air, because that, that is kind of what we're doing, right? We're, sure. we're, we're throwing things and seeing what sticks and what works and, and trying to adjust um, to make them better skill that we have not um, done enough work with sharpening. And that's something that we need to think about how we prepare our, our scholars for that, our mm-hmm. students, to mm-hmm. ensure that they have the opportunity to not um, be stuck when it comes sure. to challenges like the we're facing now. Sure. So I think I heard I Melissa. That? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is really interesting. And I'm so glad that Keisha brought up design thinking because at Santiago a few years ago, we really started reflecting and taking some steps back and really challenging the status quo, challenging this pre-existing model that we've all been, you know, accustomed to for a hundred plus years. And we have taken the design thinking approach to our school day um, pretty consistently over the last few years. And so I, I think in some ways we experienced fewer bumps. We experienced plenty of bumps, but mm-hmm. slightly fewer because we had some components of a blended learning model already built into our day. Um, so our students were engaging in competency-based learning, um, fifth through eighth grade, and were really – co-producers of their learning in many ways. Um, We, you know, taught kids and teach kids explicit learning strategies, like Mm -hmm. how do you become an independent learner and thinker? Um, We engaged in a lot of real-world, you know, community-based problem solving. And so we were able to kind of capitalize on that, and and it, it really transitioned nicely to the remote space. Um. What was, I think, one of the greatest challenges, I just would be remiss not to say, I think the lack of Mm -hmm. universal broadband in this country is one of the greatest inequities. Um, And in order for any type of model like this to ever work and reach all of our kids and families, we have got to have universal broadband. So I'm I'm hoping that that's something that will emerge from this pandemic. But... um, the, the caller, you know, pointing out needing to focus and dedicate as much time to our teachers as we are to our kids is so spot on. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where we also kind of benefited in being at least in one space for an extended period of time. We didn't vacillate back and forth. We were in this remote learning and we carved out weekly professional development for teachers specifically focused on you know, trauma-informed teaching in addition to really explicit strategies on how to teach in this space because, wow, is it so different. So even sure, if you were sure. using one-to-one in the, in the school building and 
um, competency-based and all these things, but a teacher on the other end of the screen ensuring that a, a child is able to show mastery of content or is even engaging in the lesson is so vastly different from anything that they did mm -hmm. before. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I, carving out that professional development time um, is so critical so that our teachers, you know, can experience success because we know that's when kids start to disengage when they can't experience success. And I that's think right. it's, it's the same, for, it's the same for our teachers. Um, we just had a report out in Illinois, nearly one of the one third of our profession, one third of teachers are considering leaving the field. Mm. Um, and, wow. you know, one primary reason is because they don't feel like they are successful right now. And wow. they're definitely not going to feel like that if we're not building those capacities in them. So, I mean, I'm struggling. <laughs> My professional development is not the, the highest quality it's ever been because I'm trying to learn some of these tech platforms and programs to, to pass it on to teachers. But I think that is, that is absolutely one of the primary areas for us to focus wow. on for sure. Yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, all of you have made some amazing points and um, we uh, are, are almost at an hour. Um, can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, you know, this has <laughs> been an amazing conversation and I want to thank all of you for uh, staying on and, and recording because now uh, the recording aspect, although we, we lost our live audience, but our, the recording aspect will be available uh, for people to listen to later. And, um, and so this has been uh, so, so important and uh, informative for me and I'm sure the thousands of people who listen in. Uh, one, one other point I just want to make is that, the, you know, so once, you know, now we're, we're saying that there's a, uh, there are vaccines that are going to be available. And so it looks like maybe next year uh, for, for August and September of 2021, we might be back in school buildings. And all I, I, I just want people to understand and know, uh, given what we know about uh, human uh, dynamics and, and development, is that there's going to be an adjustment period also uh, returning. So it, it's, it just doesn't end with going back in buildings um, that, okay, now things are back to normal. And I think a lot of people are thinking that that's going to be the case. Um, this is something that will be dealt with if, dare I say, not just the next generation, but at least for the next 10 years, we will be, will be uh, mitigating uh, the uh, the impact and the effect of of this pandemic over uh, sixteen to eighteen months or more, um, and so um, I, again, I just want to thank all of you and uh, everyone for sticking with us, and I appreciate you. And don't be surprised if you know uh, next summer I you you get an email from me saying, hey, I'd love to see where you are. Why don't you come on the show and let people know what you're doing. And, and how you've been. So, uh, uh, Anna, Kevin, Keisha, Luis, and Melissa, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for thank the work you, you do um, with the families and all the children that you uh, um, are responsible for. And uh, to our listeners, I know we have a lot of educators out there. You're truly first responders, and we, we appreciate you. Hang in there. Be safe. And until next time, go well, stay well, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. Thank you. Nice to meet y'all.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.